People always ask how I balance my family life with 400 shows a year. I'm just doing what I love with the people I love. It's my magic life. I like Wes Isley. I like everything about him. All right. Tonight's guest is a legend in magic. He has been performing for over 30 years, honing his skill. He focuses specifically on close-up magic. He won the gold medal uh, of excellence for close-up magic by the Society of American Magicians in 1995. Now he has a one-man show called Pure Magic that has magicians and non-magicians from around the world coming out and filling those seats. In recent years, he's performed throughout the U.S., Europe, Japan, and South America. Everybody, it's Eric DeCamps. What's up, buddy? How are you? Hey. How was that intro? That was very, very professional. Hey, very professional. thank you, sir. Quite, How are you? What operation you're running here, Wes? Hey, thank you, man. What's going on? Uh, dude, it's just uh, it's a lazy Sunday for us, so we're just taking it easy, man. Taking it easy. Well, you're better off that you're in Virginia, not in Buffalo this weekend. I'll tell you that much. What did they get? Thirty-six inches plus of snow. Oh, that's no. awful. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> so, I are mean, you are you in Manhattan? No, I'm actually, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm actually in um, Queens. I mean, what they call uh, Forest Hills, a section of Queens. Okay. All right. I was so, born and raised in this area. Did the you only... get the snow too? No, we didn't get anything. I mean, it was, well, it was a beautiful day. Chilly, but a gorgeous day here in New York City. I mean, yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Nice. The only thing I know about Queens is uh, uh, Houdini Cemetery. How far are you from that? About 15 minutes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Right. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah, I go, I've been there many times. It's, it's kind of cool. It's, I mean, I remember the first time I went there, it was like, wow. You know, you felt like there's vibe walking there, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was the, one of the first books I remember checking out specifically in the library without somebody telling me I had to check out a book. It was a book on Houdini, man, and going through that gate and, you know, just seeing all those pennies and tokens people are leaving on the, on the gravestone and everything. It was pretty amazing. The bus was yeah. gone when we went. We went in 2008. Um, so we've never got to see the bust up top. So we need to plan a trip. Oh back. yeah, yeah. They yeah. had the bust. I saw it with the original bust, and then uh, of course, several years ago, Dick Brooks and Dorothy Dietrich uh, did a little reconnaissance thing and and, and had a, a new bust put in. It was very very cool. They have a whole story on it. Yeah, we've had them on. Did. We've had them on several times. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Dick on and then by himself with Dorothy helping. <laughs> and then Dorothy on with Dick filling in and stuff. Yeah. And then we talked about the um they're sweet. The the museum they had. Yeah, we love right. Dick and Dorothy. Yeah. No, they're great. I mean, they gave me my start, you know. Well, that's a good place to start. Let's talk about the townhouse. Yeah, it was like I think it was around 77. And um I just graduated high school the year before and I got hooked up there. They were doing a um a haunted house. Uh, for Halloween and with the JCs, which was a junior executive. I forgot the whole details on that, but they set up that. They were looking for volunteers. I read about it somewhere. I heard about it and I went there and applied and they let me, uh, they let me in and I helped. And then eventually they, they kept me on. And uh, eventually I worked my way from, you know, shampooing rugs, doing whatever. I didn't care. And, um, uh, cleaning up the stuff for the shows and getting the shows, you know, 
setting up uh, the theater for the show and everything. And then eventually they would let me um, audition to do magic for them late at night. And it was, it was quite an experience. I mean, I was horrible, man. I was terrible. Aww. I had the shakes. I had everything. But to their credit, they were very supportive. Uh, after my uh, not-so-fabulous debut, uh, um, they sat me down, spent about 45 minutes with me, talking to me, talking me off the ledge, and uh, said, you know, and made me this great offer. He goes, Eric, you're welcome to come here and perform every weekend you'd like. Um, the door is always open for you, and uh, but we'll put you on after the regulars and anybody who's here, and you can break in and slowly work yourself up the ladder and, and hopefully get better and improve. And uh, I took, I didn't blink. I mean, I just said, sure, what are you kidding? And then I would go there and um, every weekend and eventually work my way up and became one of the headliners. So I hear the stories about the people that, that like were regulars there. But did you mm -hmm. guys, did they do like the castle? Were there people that were touring, illusionists, touring magicians that were coming through? Or was it a regular working atmosphere? A lot of regulars there. How did that work? It was a lot of regulars. They had their set crew that they would develop. Okay. I mean, I mean, they've had a lot of great people that were working there. You know, you had Peter Samuelson, Peter Maloney, um, Mayor Yedid, uh, Peter Kugajan, God rest his soul, um, David Regal. That's where I met Regal. And I made, you know, I made lifetime friendships there, man. And it was really great because we'd, every Friday night and Saturday night, we'd all get together. You know, it was a, it was a dinner show. So you'd get there and they had a buffet. And um, then after, when the show started, we'd make an announcement. The show's about to begin. Everyone would move into this area. It was a parlor show. It was what I, what I used to call back then a formal close-up show. And now we call it a par, you know, we call it more of a parlor show. And uh, they'd get um, in the in the main theater. I, I think it was like fifty-five people. And if they had more reservations, they had a second floor that they would convert and and into another second theater, so they could have the overflow into that. So sometimes uh, we'd have over a hundred people there on a weekend. Hey, are and, you on earbuds? I think your battery yeah, well, might be dying. I'm getting feedback. I'm getting feedback. Oh, how about? How about now? It's still doing it. Oh, really? That's weird. Okay. You want me to we had, we had uh, what was his name? Michelle Hewitt on, and he had earbuds in, and the audio was unlistenable. We got okay. through it, and then when it came to uh, refurbish it at the end, it was like, I, I don't want to do that to you. Um, okay. So do you want me, do you want to restart everything, or? I can you call you, I can call you right back, if that's okay, and we can add it to this. That's, is that, that's is that work with you? I want you to sound I, good. I, I know. But, I'm chomping at the it. bit to hear it. And we're back. Eric, how are you, buddy? I'm okay. Can you hear me better now? Yes. Oh, that's yes. much nicer. That is like day and night different. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so sorry you're, about that, guys. That's okay. That's you're good. Okay. You're good. You're six minutes into the podcast, guys. Um, we were talking about the Magic Townhouse and all the different names. And I was thinking, there's another name that I've heard, Mount Magic Townhouse. But I, how about Levent? Did you work with him, or was he before yeah, or after I, I, you? Well, I knew Levent. I knew Levent when Levent was ten years old and working at a magic shop in Brooklyn called the House of Hocus Pocus. I mean, that kid was unbelievably. He was very talented, even at ten years old, and he was very hyper. And but he, you knew that he he had something 
special. And, um, and he was amazing. He was an amazing kid. And later on, he, he just kept working and working and started working ships and was a great dove worker. At one time, believe it or not, I, I, I got it in my head that I wanted to be a, a stage magician and a manipulator and, and a dove worker. So I was going to do, you know, card fans and, and I was going to produce doves. And Levent, God bless him, spent a lot of time. He said, no, I'll coach you. And uh, Levent sat with me. We went over, and I still have all this dove equipment in a box. <laughs> that is not, it just gathered dust because eventually I figured out, hey, this isn't me. I like you, to talk and I like to do, you know, different type of magic. Do you have any doves still? No, 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 I, no. I, my doves are my, my uh, foray into Channing Pollock world long gone many years ago golly talk about Channing Pollock man that was just beautiful everything about that dude was just smooth and awesome like uh he was, he like was James Bond yeah, yeah yeah he was the man he was the man and then you know in our group in, in my generation you had the two uh two oh Clement was right there too so who am I kidding but you had um uh Joseph Gabriel and Lance Burton you know? wow you know, and I was fortunate back in 1980 um, to uh, to work for Aldo Ricciardi. And well, he was in New York and um, I was a gopher for him. And I got to meet Joseph Gabriel. I got to meet all the, you know, Mike Cadney was the MC, and they were performing at the Feld Forum, which is now the theater at Madison Square Garden. I mean, that place seats 2,500 to 5,000 people, depending on the layout. Wow. And they did a magic show, and it was like crazy cool to be backstage, you know, and just doing whatever they asked me to do. One of my responsibilities was to uh, <laughs> to get the stuff for the buzzsaw. Are you familiar with the buzzsaw that Ricciardi did? Sure. Yeah. Well, as you can imagine, that was not the uh, the best thing to get the the stuff for that. Uh, the visible, the visible, yeah, the visible sawing in half when he would saw his his daughter, Rena, uh, and the blood and guts and everything would be spilling in the air. It was wild. So are you allowed to say what the what the stuff was? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Say. All right. There you go. All right. All right. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to know that. I think it's too far. Well, that, that believe it or not, that buzzsaw is in Copperfield's museum. He has a booth dedicated to Ricciardi because he really <sighs> was an inspiration to him. And I remember when I was fortunate enough to... Um, to get a tour of uh, of the uh, of the museum, I saw it and it was so cool to see it again. Wow, wow, yeah. Chris uh, invited me to go, and I, I told him I want my wife to go with me. So we're gonna try to figure out just plan a trip yeah, to go out. Go. I, I, I you just gotta go. anything can happen. Go. I almost lost my wife twice this year, uh, Eric. I don't know if you know that or not, but no, she was in the hospital not. for thirty five days. Oh my goodness. Life is so life sorry. is fleeting. Life is just it's amazing what you can go through. So anything can happen. And dag on it, before I go, I want to see that museum. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. it's it's I'm gonna tell the only way I can tell you it's like a religious experience. It really is. And and I was fortunate that uh David allowed my wife to join us. And um and the best part of that evening to me is that he was so David was so gracious to her during the whole tour. And had her and and used her for a couple of small illusions, you know, some pieces that he performed because it's a show, believe it or not. Wow, it's yeah. very cool. It's very very cool. 
So what do you think he's going to end up doing with that? Is it just going to be invitation only for the rest of his life? Or do you think he's going to, that'll, that'll be what he ends up doing. You end up getting tickets to the Copperfield Museum. I, you know, it's a very specialized thing because I think, well, if I remember with Chris, I think it was maximum of nine people. I don't know if he's made it bigger because it's a very unique, you can't have a, you can't have a hundred people in there. It doesn't work. So it has to be in small groups because you're walking through. And to me, oh, there, there were so many highlights. I, it's hard for me to say, but what what got me the most was his recreation of the Tannins Magic Shop, the shop that I grew up in at, in New York. And um, it was just, I was, a, you know, when he turned the lights on and I was in that, in that magic shop, I was a 17-year-old kid again. Wow! Oh, yeah, that's that's crazy. It that's was magical. crazy, and the and the thing is, the reason why I really wanted to go. I mean, of course, any anybody's into magic should go. I mean, if you're lucky enough to get an invite, um, is because when he debuted it at Magic Live, I don't know, eight ten years ago, um, my buddy Mayor Yedid went because he had he did the unveiling basically for for people who worked at Tannins, that he knew worked at Tannins. So him, Steve Rodman, um, I'm trying to think of who else, uh, Billy Schmelk, uh, Adam Blumenthal, who currently owns Tannins. Um, he had them by invitation and wanted to do it with them first. So they all walked it through and everything else. And then Mayor got back and I said, so I was anxious to to uh, get get the skinny on, on um what mayor experienced and mayor said, well, it's great. Yada, yada, yada. It's unbelievable. Eric, you have to see it. And, it, and by the way, your eight by 10 is on the wall. And I'm like, you know, mayor and I go back more years than I want to care to admit here. And uh, it was very funny. Cause I, I thought he was pulling my leg. And then he, and then two minutes later, he sends me this picture of the wall and there's my, cause he, in Tannins, one of the things they would put up all them famous magicians eight by tens. Wow! So I, I made it to the, I made it on the wall there because I was on the wall of Tannins, but I was a regular Tannins, and I was very friendly with Irv and Tony and Jack Ferrero, all those guys because I grew up there. So um, to see it, and I remember going in into the office here in my apartment and going to my wife and saying, "Look at this! I'm in the museum, man." And, and she goes, and I says, I don't know how, but I'm going to go see this. And my wife looks at me, she goes, well, I'm going with you. And I said, whoa, 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 lady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know if I can get myself in. You know? <laughs> Dude, that is, I think that's even cooler than being on the Tannins wall. Oh my gosh. That is awesome. So it was, it was, so. Um, so when we go, we make sure up. we take a picture for Eric that he's still on the wall. So okay. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. right. Right, I'm sure David's going to put it up and, you know, like, 20, oh, yeah, that's right. I got to put this up on the wall. <laughs> I took it down and made room for someone else. But no, it was, it was a great experience. And it was and it was just cool to hang with David, you know, afterwards. And and he's he, he couldn't have been a, a more gracious host. It was impossible. And Chris, forget it. They were both wonderful. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, I mentioned that you won the uh, the, fizzle, the the award for SAM. The right, the gold medal. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. So I know you competed in a million other competitions, and I know there's other prizes, but that was the only one listed on your website. There was other. You won multiple, multiple awards, correct? Yeah, I've won awards at the IBM, uh, the SAM, 
I uh, was the first guy ever sponsored by the SAM to represent the Society of American Magicians at FISM in 1991 and was on. Wow. Uh, I, I went there with a whole new act that I, devised, that I devised just specifically for FISM, and it was like a debut act, and it went over well. I, I was told I came in fourth place there. Um, I didn't get an award, but I still... I still did pretty well. I got a great response, and I, it was very—it was a great experience because I met so many people. And the person who moved me the most during that experience was a gentleman from Argentina, a magician by the name of Rene Levand. Oh, and uh, I got to see him work. Now I had seen him on video before, but I'd never seen him live. And it was as good as he was on video. To see him live was just awe. I was just in awe. Now, another another James Bond type character, just amazing, flawless, debonair, suave. But I have magician and non-magician listeners, so let everybody know about Rene Levant and my wife. Okay, Rene Levant was a, a an amazing artist, and truly, the word artist applies to him. And um, he was a very interesting performer he had very incredible technique um but when he was 10 years old riding a bicycle he was in a car and he was hit by a truck and lost um his right hand um so he only had one hand his left hand and he had to reinvent uh card magic for him because he only had one hand and he was on the ed sullivan show he presented there um, he told he would, you know, regale me with stories of staying with uh, Tony Slidini during his stay there, and he stayed I think for a week there in Tony Slidini's studio, and Tony would cook for him every night. Um, wow! But he he was just, I mean, he would bring me to tears when I'd see him work because it was so, it was true theater. It's what, in my opinion all magicians should strive for to that level of artistry. Um, you know, my style is, is different than his, but I do in my show do do a tribute to him with his permission. Uh, he gave me permission to do a piece that I fell in love with when I saw him do it. And I didn't know if I can pull it off. It's called the, the three breadcrumbs. And um, I got to do that. I asked him if I could do it and he had, he said, yes. I mean, we became friendly. We met it uh, in '91 in Lausanne, and the next year he was in New York to do a. He was on the East Coast to do some lectures, and he was in New York, and he stayed with me, and, and <clears throat> he stayed with me for a week. And every night I would go to I would go to work because I always had a full time job, and um, I would go to work during the day, and then come back at night, and we'd we we rehearse all every night. He'd have me rehearsing. Four, for a minimum of four hours a night preparing for his lecture. So it was a it was a great experience. I mean, he really drilled the importance of character development, um, pacing, drama, and and it was it was it was just a phenomenal experience to spend time with him. And now his English, his English wasn't that good. You're speaking to him mainly in Spanish, correct? Correct. I I actually served as a translator for his lecture here in New York. Okay. And then That's later cool. on, when he when the next year he worked at the SAM convention, 
and New Orleans, and we went down there to uh, to uh, the, you know to the convention. I wasn't booked, but I would. Hey, I'm going to see Rene Laurent, so I flew down there, and we hung out. And he was great. I got to meet his wife, Nora. And the first thing when he saw me in the lobby of the hotel, he goes, "Hey, Eric, I heard you're doing the breadcrumbs." I'm going, "Yeah, I'm performing it now." And I was then working at another nightclub in New York, Magic Nightclub called Mostly Magic. And I was, you know, I had broken it in. I was performing it, and I performed it in a bunch of places, uh, a couple of conventions and stuff. And it was getting a good response. And Renee said to me, "Well, I'd like to see you do it." And I said, "What are you crazy? I'm not showing that to you. I'm not ready for you." He goes, "But well, you perform it for other people." I go, "Yeah, those are people. <laughs> you're, you're not people. You're, you're the master." And and he was like, no, "No, I can help you." I go, "Renee, I'll know when I can do it for you." So it took him about another five years before when he came to New York again. And he was doing a lecture at Herb Zarrow's house. And I was going to translate for him, but I got stuck in traffic. And when I got there, Mayor Yen was translating. So imagine this guy, Mayor. Mayor's a great guy and a great magician, but he doesn't speak a lick of uh, Spanish, but he's trying to translate. And oh, yeah. um, so I walk in and I took over. And after the lecture was over, of course, the lecture was a tremendous success. People loved it. And everyone left, except for like a small group of people. And and after um, after we had coffee and cake, and we were hanging out and just visiting, I said to him in Spanish. I mean, everyone's talking English except for Nora, his wife, and him. And uh, I said to him, "Hey, Renee, if you want to see that thing, that's all I said. You want to see that thing? I'll do it. I, I feel I can do it for you." And he said. He knew exactly. Oh, I didn't say do the breadcrumbs. I didn't say anything. All I said was, "Do you, I can do that thing for you?" And he said yes. And I went and got my little tea, my little uh, espresso cup, got my breadcrumbs, and told him I can do this for you, but I can't do it in Spanish. I've learned it, and everything. He goes, "No, don't worry about it, Eric. Uh, you do it in English the way you know it, and I'll understand it." And I'm like, okay, and I did it, and I was nervous. And everyone else there was like ten people there around the table having coffee and cake, and uh, and 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 I did the piece in English, and he followed through, and then I finished, and everyone gave it a nice round of applause. And then, in typical Rene Lewand fashion, he stands up very dramatically and looks across, and he points to me, and he says, "Eric, you translate." And then he said this in Spanish, and the gist of it was, you know, I've traveled the world, and I've created a lot of magic. You know, I've had several books published about my magic, but of all the pieces that I've created, to me, this piece with the three breadcrumbs is my baby, my child. I gave birth to this. But tonight, it is no longer my child. Tonight, it is now Eric. And my child, and I'm so happy that after I'm gone, part of me will live through Eric. And and he started to weep, wow. which, which, of course, I I lost it. And uh, he gave me a big hug and a kiss, and then he pulled me to the side and then said, "Hey, Eric." And he only saw me do it once, only once, and he analyzed it immediately, and he said to me, 
in this phase, you did this. In this phase, you did that. You made these changes here, 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 and here. They're very good changes. They fit your personality. Keep it that way. You don't need to make any other changes. And I said, thank you. You know, so that made me very happy. That's awesome. Wow. That is awesome, dude. That's yeah, amazing. It was it was a great experience. I mean, if you ever get a chance, I mean he's he's on video on YouTube and stuff like that. He was on the world's greatest magic. That's and where was I was a, introduced to him. Yeah. Can't be done any slower. It, well, that's so funny because I worked on that for I don't know, like twenty years before I came up with a uh, a, a way of presenting it and I never had the opportunity to show it to him because unfortunately he passed away, you know, like eight years ago. And uh, I always regretted that. I didn't get a chance. It's completely different than the way he did it um, as far as presentation and everything and the storyline. But I think he would have found it cool. I think he would have enjoyed it. He did the oil and water with uh, the red and black cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they separated. Red, black. Just one hand. And he said it can't be done any slower. He turns them over and all the red's here and all the black's here. Yeah, it's really a beautiful piece. I mean... I would consider that piece art. I mean, it can't be done any slower. Watch. It's not a puzzle. This is just magic. This is just beautiful. Watch. It can't be done any slower. This is just magic. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's true because he really emphasizes it. And he repeats it like six, seven times in the piece. And it gets more and more impossible every phase. And it's just, like you said, it's artistry. When he picked up a deck of cards, it was artistry. And it's hard because oil and water inherently is not an engaging trick, in my that, opinion. That's why I didn't do it. It, you know, I worked on a couple of different ones, but I never found one that I just that brought people in. Uh, well, ring and string it. is another one. I, I haven't found a reason for people to be interested in a ring on a string. I, I love it. There's some beautiful moves that I would love to do, but I can't get people to ooh and ah over it. And I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm after. Am I after ooh and ah? Am I after a puzzle? Sometimes you have to figure that out to make it make sense to you. No, I, I agree. And it's hard. I mean, magic has inherent challenges because, you you, you know, Robert Houdin, the father of modern magic, said that there's two people that come to a magic show. One, who is going to be the skeptic, who goes there to figure out the tricks. But he will never enjoy the show because he's too he, his mind is too um, too focused on trying to figure out and to outsmart the magician. So he'll never enjoy the show. Then there's the other person that comes there to be filled with wonder and amazement, to be astonished. And the more that you astonish him, the more you create wonder in that person's mind, the more he enjoys it. And that's the person that's really going to enjoy what you do. Yeah. Amazing, so, dude. so I just notes here. Uh, I, there's the stars of magic, and I swear you were on one of the pamphlets, but I don't understand. I looked up stars of magic. I have two copies of the book, but I don't see you in the book. It was also no. like a manuscript monthly magazine. How was that? Because I'm I'm no, 99 percent sure you were on the cover of that daggone thing. No, what happened was in the in the 80s. Uh, when VHS tapes came out and they were doing magic videotapes, Tannins acquired, Tannins owned the rights to Stars of Magic. And they got it in, I, 
I, originally when Saw's Magics came out, it was in the 40s, and there were, there were pamphlets, and then they would put these pamphlets together, and, and they gave you a binder, a leather binder, and you would put these things in. In 1963 or 64, Tannins published a hardcover version with all of the stuff in it. And it's to me, that's my top two magic books, okay? Um, the stuff, the material in that, in that one book is, is incredible. So then in, in the 80s, like I said, Tannins started putting out Stars of Magic videos, and they had Paul Harris, uh, Bernard Billis, Derek Dingle, Frank Garcia, and they would uh, record everybody. And then Tony and I were talking, this Tony, Tony was very supportive of my magic, and he liked, he liked what I did. And he says, Eric, I'd like you to do a Stars of Magic. So I said, oh, Stars of Magic what? I said, video. So I did the, the video. I did a, a, a video that we shot down in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. So they didn't, they didn't do the pamphlets in the 80s no, and no, reissue those? Is, I felt like you were on plan. that. No, no, I was never on that. I, okay. I, I know that he also put out pamphlets, and those pamphlets came out in the 70s when they hit. He titled it The New Stars of Magic. There you go, yes. The New Stars of Magic, and he had guys like Fred Bauman um, with the spoon trick. He had a bunch of people. Um, Max Landano with the Eternal String. Um, trying to think, uh, uh, Doug Bennett, uh, with bewildering, which we were talking about, ring and ring and and and, and ribbon. Uh, he had a, a round ring, uh, not a finger ring, but a ring, uh, like a like a harness ring. That's what I use. And and it's funny because in my videotape, I teach my handling of uh, my interpretation of the ring and a ring and rope, if you will. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, it's a it's a great trick just to put in your pocket, carry around, just to show somebody something something unique, something different. It's not a card trick, it's not a coin trick. It's beautiful. It's very great moves. But no, it, and it's a staple in my strolling magic. When I do strolling magic, that 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 ring and that shoelace is in my pocket, and it always gets a great response. And I've been doing that for over forty some odd years. So don't take it the wrong way. I just can't find a way to use it. You get no, that, though, no, right? I, yeah, I, okay, I, all right, good. I, I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, it's your whole... baby. You love it. And I'm like, I don't like it. I do. I have, like, 12 different size rings. I have ribbon. I have shoelaces. I have rope. I have all these different things that I've collected and worked on these different routines. But I can never just jump in and just do it. Um, that's no, another no, thing I, I, I totally like, get it. I totally get it. I mean, Like Miser's Dream. I had a... Um, I had a real barrier in front of me doing Miser's Dream for over 20 years because I couldn't get over the hurdle of if I can make money appear out of thin air, why didn't I show up in a Lamborghini? Why aren't I dressing better? Why don't I, you know, if I can make money appear, why? And it's like, Wes, you're way overthinking it, man. Just do the trick. It's great. People love it. So, you know, and then I came up with the Miser's Dream routine that I had in my show for several years. So, oh, that's great. I mean, I yeah. love the Miser's Dream. And that's a, piece i've always and i came up with a with a hook that i think would work that would, i know would work great uh, i just haven't really done anything with it yet um so but i, I it, it's a it's a fabulous piece of magic no ifs ands or buts about it so i had you in stars of magic i had you in the new stars of magic i i saw i can see your face on it in a pamphlet but i am totally mistaken it was a vhs tape but mm -hmm. you have been on cover of magazines in that time period in the 80s. Yes, I, I was on the cover of uh, Magic was it, Manuscript. 
magic manuscript. Maybe that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So on the cover of the magazine. Yeah. So my claim to fame this week is uh, Linking Ring. I'm on the cover of Linking Ring. I know. I saw it. Hey, I how great is that? You. But yeah, but here's the thing. You've been, that's old hat to you, man. How many covers have you been on? Genie and Magic and. No, I've never and, been and, on Genie. I've been in, in several, but never on Genie uh, and not on Linking Ring. I was on MUM twice. I was there on New Tops. Um, I have that I New Tops issue. Yeah. I was in the Mandela. And most recently, Vanish Magazine this year, February issue, Paul Romani's magazine, which is a lovely online magazine. I mean, really, really well done. Dude, and that's it, was a, it was a very nice story. I, mean, I was very happy with the way everything came out. The Actually, the story was written by David Regal. He did a great job interviewing him. Wow, that's awesome. So um, I just, like I said, I have a page of notes here. I first, met, I first met your wife and... Dude, I'm just telling you how it is. I'm an open book. I tell you, I don't play any punches. So if you take it the wrong way, God, please forgive me. But you brought your wife in to judge magicians. I'm like, oh, no. My wife is with me. She works with me 24 hours a day. But a magician bringing his wife in to judge other magicians. I'm like, why? But her and Bob Fitch had some right. great ideas tweaking people. And it's just my first reaction, right? And then, boy, she put me in my place right away. Um, I didn't bring anything to perform that night because I'd never seen that setup before. I wouldn't know what I would bring to have you and Bob Fitch and, and Celeste go over it. But that was a fun night at MAES. And I fell in love with your wife. I had total respect for her. And then um, I talked to Hal Myers. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And she's a dancer and she's this and she's that. You got a great wife, man. You did good. Yeah. She's you pretty know, awesome. You don't have to sell me on my wife. <laughs> Um, no, but it, it's very it's, it's very funny because everyone likes her more than they like me anyway, especially when they meet her. Because Celeste has got a great personality, and you know she was in sales for a long period of time, and she just people open up to her for whatever reason. She that's why she was so good at sales. Um, she can get a rock to talk back to her. Yeah. But uh, I mean, she knows magic. I mean, the the ins and outs and the critique she had for people. Well, she's she not just a bystander. She well, she's been with me for a long time. Right. I mean, we met in '94, and we've been, you know, um, well, we I met her when I was in Florida working the uh, Florida State Magic. Her brother what? Zach is a full time professional magician. Zach Walden, <clears throat> he lives in L.A. Oh wow! And. Yeah. And he's a full-time magician and comedian, stand-up comedian. And uh, he brought it to the convention, and I kind of, like, gravitated towards her. So we became friendly, and then we started dating long distance. <clears throat> Let me tell you, back then, you'd have to pay. If I called Florida, it was a long-distance phone call. I, today, I don't think young people can appreciate it. But my phone bill back then was, like, like five, dollars $600 a month. <laughs> Shit, gosh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's crazy. Commitment. Yeah, and then I mean, it worked out at the end of the day. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Well, she's pretty awesome. The, the yeah, Bob no, Fitch, she knows theater. She's a dancer and everything else, so she knows that. So the Bob Fitch connection. Did he help you with your one man show, or have you been working yes. with him? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I, Back in around 2000, I, I wanted to do a one-man show, so I started scripting everything out because I, had, I hadn't worked publicly in a long time, and I like to work pub for the general public. Uh, my magic is not designed for magicians. I mean, if magicians find it interesting, that's great. Um, 
but I want to, I want people to see that I love. I had met Fitch. I knew him from years before that. And he was always very nice. And we, but the timing wasn't right. So we didn't work out. Then 2007, I public performances by myself at the Three West Club in Rockefeller Center. I ran, my show ran for eight weeks. Uh, we sold out almost every show. Um, and it was, it was like a 50 seat uh, parlor show. And it went over very well. And from there, I hooked up with a gentleman um, who owned a nightclub in, this, uh, in, the, in Manhattan also. And called the Metropolitan Room. Chris Mazzilli is his name. He also owns Gotham Comedy Club. And it's a great guy and a uh, fabulous guy. And he saw my show. He came to see my show. At the time, Celeste was selling wine and spirits. And her account was the Metropolitan Room and Gotham Comedy. And the buyer there, uh, Celeste invited her buyer to come to see my show. And he saw it and loved it. And he went back to the owner and said, listen, you got to go see this guy, Eric DeCamps, Celeste's husband. He goes, why? Was he stand up? And he goes, no, he's a magician. And, he, and Chris said, a magician, really? He goes, trust me, I just saw the show. You really need to see the show. So he came up, uh, the final show. Um, one of the gimmicks I did at that time at the Three West Club is that every week I'd have a, a different guest host so that I could do a mailing on and say, so-and-so is introducing me. And so-and-so is going to be my host tonight, Harry Lorraine. I had a bunch of people. And uh, that week, that last show was Bill Maloney flew in from Florida to uh, introduce me. And uh, <laughs> Chris came up to me afterwards and said, and actually went to my wife and said, I'd like to talk to your husband. And I said, sure. And Celeste came up to me because you got to go talk to Chris. You got to talk to Chris now. So I went in the back. I said, hi, Mr. Mazzilli. Thank you for coming. And he goes, Eric, I really enjoyed your show. It's really good. He goes, as a matter of fact, I have, a, a, uh, another, I have another nightclub I think you would be great at. And it was a Metropolitan Room, and it was a cabaret, a, a jazz cabaret with a nice theater, incredible lighting. Sound was, the sound in the room was great. It sat 110, 120 people with boots and everything else. So we set up a meeting, and as soon as I walked in through the front door, I went through a time portal, Wes. I'm telling you, I went through a time portal. I felt like it was in 1940s New York. It was so set up, so cool. And I could just imagine Vernon, Dave Vernon, uh, doing strolling magic in this place. And I looked wow. at it, and I said, you got me at hello here. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. uh, I said... So we worked out a deal. I did like, I think it was four runs of eight weeks each. And um, unfortunately, the club is now closed. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a great experience. And so when I was there, I figured I, I'm going to be competing with all these other artists that are in the show. Because they turn over a lot of shows a night. And they only want a 60-minute show. And I had a 90-minute show uh, with no intermission. And they said, well, we're not, you can't do 90 minutes. And I said, well, can I do 70? And he said, yes. So now I knew that I was going to be in competition with all these really well-known artists. I needed to have something really tight. So I called up Fitch, and we met, and we discussed it. And I sent him a video of my show from the Three West Club. He had really enjoyed it. 
And then we've worked together. And we were very fortunate that I cut a deal with the nightclub that every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. they would open up the club and let us rehearse from 8 a.m. to 12 noon. <clears throat> and we'd work from 8 a.m. to 12 noon in wow. the theater. So it was great because I think we worked for about eight weeks before I opened. So I, when I opened, when we had opening night, we, um, I already felt comfortable because I've been rehearsing in that room. So I've been walking those boards for eight weeks. So I, I felt really comfortable. And it was, it was a great experience. It was just a great experience. Well, like those break rooms, man. I mean, you needed that five years just to get, when you have somebody you're looking up to watching, watching right in front of you, it's way easier when it's just muscle memory and just, you're just, you're doing your routine and it's all muscle memory instead of, doing it right there, trying to get that new venue, trying to get that new spot, opening up a brand new show in a brand new place that you've never been to. That is stressful. That is super stressful without well, getting is. that repetition time. But I was fortunate because Fitch had done it all. I mean, yeah. if you look at Fitch's resume, it's ridiculous. And, and Well, let people know. He, he's, he's also, doesn't he have an Emmy? No, he doesn't have an, an no, he doesn't have an Emmy, but he's got, he got something, he was a Broadway Broadway guy. Okay. Yeah. He was yeah. a Broadway guy. And um, he he was he originated the, the character of Rooster in the play in the musical Annie. And he added a lot of things to that character that no one else could ever do because he added magic to it. And it was very cool what he did. And he's just a he's just a he's an inspiration. He really is an inspiration. And he used to run those boot camps with uh, with Mark Phillips, I he was one of you to help organize it, and um, Margaret Steele was involved with it. And he'd have these boot camps with um, Bob Sheets was involved. Um, I'm trying to think about who else. Uh, there was just tons of people, um, ton of people that you know. Paul Gertner, they all went there and would spend a week in Canada and and just work on their material. Bill Malone went there. Everyone found it to be a life-altering experience. And I had the advantage that I spent all this other time with him. So it was great. That is pretty awesome. Great. It was well, great. In January this year, I got to go to the SAM. And uh, my wife stayed at home with the, the babies and uh, snowstorm. We had 12-day snowstorm with no power wow. at the house. And I, wow. I leave her to go to... to but my, my claim to fame out there was... Penn and Teller invited me to have box seats. And I'm just thinking the whole time, I'm going to sneak away from the convention. I'm going to go have box seats at Penn and Teller. And I get there and I'm looking around and I'll get these great seats. And right beside me is Celeste and Eric the Camps. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I thought I had something special and he's already there. And I'm like, dang well, on it. Have something on special. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but dang on it, man. You guys yeah, are it awesome. Was, it, was a, it, was, it was a great show. Um, unfortunately, tell it, you know, because that was that was the height of COVID. I mean, the second wave yeah. of COVID. And um, it was we were very fortunate because that was on a Thursday night. They did because they were closed for two weeks before because Penn Gillette got COVID right. and they were shut down for two weeks. They reopened on that Thursday night that we went and on Friday night they had a show. And then the next day. On Saturday, they shut the show down again because Teller got COVID. Well, and when we were there, Penn had the long cough. 
he was COVID free, but he couldn't get rid of that scratchy cough. And correct, and he was <laughs> drinking to the show. I mean, drinking okay. water. And that doesn't happen. They don't do that. But I went and saw Copperfield that Friday, or, or mm. Saturday or whatever it was, and Copperfield was doing the same thing. He had that long cough. He was COVID free, but he had that cough. And it's like, mm -hmm. I know as a performer how you don't want to have to stop to take a drink if it's not scripted into your routine and it's not. But to constantly have to do it and constantly, <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm like, oh, it was just killing me for Penn and Copperfield to go through that. But yeah, we got really lucky that we even got to see them that week. No, uh, we did. And and it was really weird because on Sunday of that week, it was the night, it was the afternoon I did my lecture. Now we got this room full of magicians. I do my lecture and <laughs> about three quarters of the way into my lecture, I go, <clears throat> and I'm starting to feel kind of like lightheaded and, and drowsy. And I'm going like, I dodged this bullet for two years. No. Don't even joke with me that I'm getting this thing. And sure enough, um, I finished I finished my lecture uh, and, you know, and I went and sold all my notes and everything. And then I went upstairs and I'm not feeling good. And that night I got a fever and I'm like, don't tell me I got this COVID because Celeste got it in December. Remember, January was a convention. Celeste got it in December. She was sick for a week. I live in a, an apartment, so we didn't separate. I says, you know, forget it. It's too late. I, I'm, I'm living with her, so I just stayed in bed with her. I never got it. I never got it. So now I go to, now I feel like I'm Superman, you know? Yeah. And until I got to Vegas and I got hit with kryptonite. <laughs> that would be Aww. me. I'm Superman. I can't get it. I'm <laughs> so, so I get sick, and I had to stay like four extra days in, in the hotel room. I mean, I couldn't, I, had, I was supposed to be on the final night's gala show. And I, 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 you know, I met with the powers at B and they, they gave me a test kit and I said, it's your call. I says, listen, I've worked sicker than this. I have no problem working, but it's your call. He goes, well, they did the right thing. They did the right thing. They said, if you test positive, I can't have you work. So I said, no problem. So I went upstairs. I tested. I tested positive. So I, and I locked myself up in a hotel room for, for five days. Mm. It sucked. <laughs> Uh, everyone else is going out. You know, yeah. it sucked. But and you, you know, got five you extra days in Vegas. Yeah, yeah in a hotel room. room. Like yeah. you're in time out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It stunk. Well, on your on your website somewhere, I was seeing that, you know, you're you're bilingual. You your parents are from the Dominican Republic or how how does that work? Was just your mom? Yeah, my, my parents are from the DR, yeah. From the both Republic. of them. My, both of them, yeah. They come from a small town called La Vega which is a province in the middle of the country. I have a lot of family down there. I have a very big, my mother came from 15 brothers and sisters wow. and wow. my father came from nine. So wow. uh, in first cousins, maternal first cousins, I have first cousins, total of 80. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of cousins. And if you go, and if you, and it, you know, if you're Dominican, you know, you go down to third cousin, they're still like a first cousin. So we're like in the hundreds. <laughs> wow. That's a big family reunion you got going on there. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I don't get to go down there as much as I'd like to. But, yeah, you know, I used to spend uh, from grammar school or grammar school through college. I spent every summer vacation in DR. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it was phenomenal because I got to know my family's culture and, and I hung out with family. And I have a cousin that's my age, 
we're like 12 days apart. So he was like a brother to me. And we just Aww. hung out and it was great. We had a great time. That's and awesome. I used to well, do magic down there. I was on television. I was a television oh, wow. star back in the 70s. It was funny. It was very, cool. very funny. Yeah. We have a friend that lives down there and he, come visit, come visit. I love it. We just haven't gotten out there It's yet. my old boss when I had the, um, a sponsorship with Pepsi. Yeah. And he ended up moving to Dominican Republic and dying for us to go down there. But he loves you it. Should with, go. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, 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 even if, if you go down to visit him, of course, but the resorts there are beautiful. Oh, just nice. don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. Okay. Well, we go to Cancun. We love going to Cancun every year. What do you okay. think about what do you think about doing a resort down there? Since you're bilingual. We just we just did um Cancun and we saw David McGee. It was one hundred percent mind reading. It was one hundred percent all in English. Yeah. And I mean if they said hola to him, he acted like he didn't know what they were talking about. He knows a little bit of Spanish. But it's like, nope, this show is English. It's English only. And when we went, it was Mexican New Year. And he wasn't expecting a big crowd at all. And it seemed like it's mostly Spanish-speaking people showed yeah. up, yeah. although they're also bilingual. Yeah. But um, yeah. they weren't speaking English when they were waiting for the show to start or after the show was over. Right. But he's saying they're just dying for acts down there. Well, I like Dave McGee. He's a nice guy. He's originally, I think, I, I, I know he's Texan. Yeah. Texas. And, um, yeah, he's a good guy. I know that he moved to Mexico. He's living there, right? Yeah, yeah. Cancun. Yeah, he does yeah. a couple different resorts and uh, just goes in and does a you know a, a one hour show and gets out. Man, he's it's mentalism. So he shows up with a, a book bag and a briefcase, and that's his entire show. It's set up. For yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's like John Wayne doing mentalism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It was a fun show, but I'm thinking you down there would kill because. You get the bilingual stuff and you're fluid in it. It's not like you have to think about words and the way you script everything. It would be so perfectly scripted anyway. But you could also ad lib like it was a normal show. Um, yeah. I'm telling you, go down there. You'd be great. You'd be great. <laughs> You'd be hit. Um, you talked about uh, Superman or you had superhero powers. I know you're a huge Marvel fan. Um, just just following you on social media and stuff. Has that been a lifelong thing or just because of the new Yeah, I'm a comic the book. Movie? I'm a comic book nerd when I was a kid. I was very introverted when I was a kid. Um, I still am. I mean, I, if I'm not performing, if you put me in a social gathering with people that I don't know, I, it's kind of hard for me to, uh, to start conversations. Celeste has no problem with it, but I do uh, even to this day. But... Uh, I used to read comics. I used to be a model builder. I used to build model kits. I was very, very good at that. And then you know, when I was in junior year of high school, senior year of high school, I got into, I got into magic. I saw Doug Henning's first TV special, blew me away. And then I was, uh, my friend Steve, you know, now we're really tight friends, uh, Steve Rodman, terrific magician here from Long Island, had a magic shop in Brooklyn. And I went to that magic shop and I bought my first magic trick. And then I saw Doug Henning on, on his first television special. It blew me away. And I was hooked. I was hooked after that. And I started studying and I went to Al Flosso's magic shop. It was the first magic shop in the city I'd ever been to. And then later I discovered Tannins. It was... Um, it, 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 was it was It was an interesting ride for me. But again, 
for me to become a, a performer and getting used to being in front of people is a big step for me. It took me out of my shell. So magic to me is a great, great icebreaker. I mean, it, it, it's, it's great for making you come out of your shell to making you a social person. I mean, magic is a performing art, as you know, Wes. And it's nice that you can be a move guy and stuff like that because I was into that when I got into magic, like all of us. And then eventually when I started working in the townhouse and mostly magic, I, all of a sudden I'm saying like, oh, this stuff's got to be entertaining. Right. So, I mean, and engaging. So that's the whole thing. And that's always been my thing was trying to take classical pieces of magic, reinterpreting them and making them palatable, if you will to a lay audience, to a regular, regular lay audience and trying to make it interesting and engaging. So, but it takes me a long time to figure out how to, uh, how to present some of these pieces that I do. So I'm not alone overthinking stuff and really diving into the, to the why and the, I'm not, I'm not alone in that. Okay, good. No, no, no. (laughs) I mean, two years ago, I finally solved the, uh, no, it'll be three years now. I solved a piece that I've been wanting to do for 35 years, okay. 35 years working on a trick. And I finally got it to work. And then I said, then I had to figure out how to present it and all that other stuff. And it was, it was a real heartache. It was a tough, tough grind, but I got it. And it's been really well received. But people don't get it. If you're just doing it from the box and you have no feeling in it, it's not you. You can't live through your magic and it's got to be you. Uh, it's it's weird. It's a weird. I don't know how to say it right, Eric. I'm not. No, you're, right. you're you're right. And listen, at the end of the day, I mean, I was fortunate to meet a lot of people in my when I was younger who were professional magicians, and I hung out with professional magicians. It was never my intent to be a full time professional magician. My thing was that I just wanted to be able to hold my own on the same bill with professional magicians, be at that level, and and I've been fortunate that I've held my own with some of the best magicians around. Um, and be on stage and, and, oh, not, you know, close up parlor, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I have, I can't, I have a couple pieces that I can do on stage, but it's at the end of the day, I remember professor Bobby Baxter, who was a great magician. I mean, phenomenal magician. He taught, he was a teacher to Jeff McBride. He was, um, he was, he helped Levent. He helped so many people. I mean, help, it might be, but he was great. And I remember him telling me that that at the end of the day, Eric, when people walk away, they should know something about you. Yeah. And that's really important. And I think you pull that off well, uh, Wesley, because I think you you have a a very personal uh, stage persona. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah, personal stage personable stage persona. And I think that's really important. You know. Well, I'm an open book, and I probably talk too much. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I try, and I want people to, you know, feel like they can ask me questions, you know. And and I, I say this in my show, and I'm not going to say it correctly now because I'm not I'm not in script mode. But you know, I only wanted to do magic when I was a little boy. That's all I ever wanted to do. And my teachers were saying, "No, you could be a fireman." No, I want to do magic. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know when, if, how, why. That's all I want to do. And seriously, from the bottom of my heart, right now, tonight, I have performed in Vegas. I performed at some of the most beautiful theaters and resorts across the country. 
But right now in this moment, I'm living my childhood dream. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for buying a ticket to my show tonight because you're filling that little kid's dream. And I, I mean it, man. And I get goosebumps and I tell that story, but it, it's hard. No, I get it. I get yeah. it. I get it. I totally get it. That's all I wanted. But, dude, getting to meet cool people like you and getting to meet Celeste and getting to call you my friend. Dude, Eric DeCamps is my friend. This is another <laughs> thing I wanted to say. When yeah, I well. first started going to MAES in 2008, you were on the bill of being one of the performers. And right. a friend of mine, Ron Schneider, um, he's 83 years old now. He can't go anymore, just health reasons. And um, I told him you were coming. And I drove him from Virginia up. You were the main reason he went to see. Dude, people oh, wow. are going on pilgrimages to see you. We <laughs> love you. You're awesome. Thank you for being in Magic. Thank you for everything. I think you've made it, man. You're on the Tannins wall in the Copperfield Museum. Yeah, You're done. You're done. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it. I can go straight to Valhalla now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one more thing. One more thing. You mentioned uh, Tannins and you mentioned Alf Lasso. What was the difference? Was one more of a pitch shop and one more of a real shop? Flasso, or... Flasso, you, know, you see, I mean, if you go into the old books and see, you see photographs of the shop. That's what it was I was a total thinking. mess. It was a total mess. And I remember going there and um, he was such a character. And, uh, but he was a sweetheart. He was a sweetheart. And yeah, I remember going there place and I wanted to do the newspaper tear and I said uh, I'd like to buy this trick I think it was like two dollars a manuscript for the newspaper tear and he goes he says to me you know Doug Henning and I'm like yeah on Broadway yeah I know Doug Henning I've seen the show I've seen Doug Henning and he says you know the newspaper tear there he does I go yeah because would you like to do that I said yeah I mean goes for this piles of stuff man all on his counter and he pulls out this manuscript with Gene Anderson. He goes, this is the one that Doug Henning does. And I said, well, then I need that one. And he goes, it's $5. So I gave him my $5. But I saw him stop many kids. Like, kids would go there on a Saturday, and they would spend all their money on a square circle and everything else. And he'd look at them and say, uh, hey, kid, you got money to get home to take the bus? And the kid would go into his pocket. Oh, I don't, I don't have the money for the bus. Al would go into his pocket and give him the bus money to get home. Aww. Wow. That's sweet. Yeah, I was there. I saw that, man. It was crazy. I was like, wow. He was a match. I, I, just, I just see that. I just see that performer mentality with that carnival barker attitude. And I imagine his shop was like that, just, you know, just selling oh, pitch magic. Oh, it was magic. a disaster how he found it. There's a legendary story of, uh, of him. You know, a guy comes in and looking in the counter and says, hey, what's that? You got a is that a wand there? Is that wand? He goes, oh, that's a, <laughs> that's not just a wand. That was uh, her, Alexander Herman's wand. He goes, really? Yeah. He goes, Alexander Herman? Yeah. Is that for sale? He goes, yeah, I could sell it to you. No, I would not worry, but I'll, you know. So they work out the deal. He sells him the wand, he collects the money, and the guy walks out. And a guy, the other guy in the shop sees him go behind the counter, pull out another wand, and puts it in the puts it in the counter right exactly where the other one was, same exact wand. And the guy goes, "Well, isn't that? Didn't you just sell that wand, Herman's wand?" And he looked at the guy and go, "Well, 
her mom had a lot of wads. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, dude. Oh All right, dude, you are awesome. Thank you so much for being on here tonight. Oh, you are pleasure. the best. Thanks for having me. Um, EricDecamps.com. Um, mm -hmm. Are you on Instagram, Facebook, any yes, of that I'm stuff on people Instagram, can find you? Facebook, yeah, but I'm not as media savvy as you are. Well, that's no, you still, I mean, people can find you. People want to hire you for your, can they book you just for like a, not yes. only your one man show, can they? No, no, no. I do strolling magic events. I do corporate events. I have a few, uh, uh, you know, for the holidays and stuff like that. It's good. And I'll be doing a show on September 17th at the Sparta Avenue stage with my dear friend Joe Garcetti and his lovely wife, Diane Garcetti. I'll be sharing the bill with Joe and the world's greatest escape artist, Thomas Solomon. So Saturday, uh, December 17th. Awesome. Awesome. I'll put that. We have a Facebook podcast group as well. So I'll put that in there and I'll send. Oh, links. that'd be great. I'll that'd send a, great. I'll put a link on that. Yeah. Dude, you are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, I think nice we've said it all, you guys. except for um, see, see you next, next week. week. Check us out online at WesIsley.com and Patreon.com forward slash Wes underscore Isley for behind-the-scenes videos, blooper videos, never-before-seen footage, discounts on merchandise, magic trick tutorials, and more. That's Wes Isley spelled W-E-S-I-S-E-L-I. -S